Um, my name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here as well. And I just want to, before we look at the Word of God, I just want to thank you uh, for supporting our economy uh, the way that you do. Um, you and, and I, by the end of this day, will have spent $12 billion uh, on Super Bowl parties. Uh, so thank you for being a part of that. The uh, retail sector appreciates you very much. There is a dark side, though. Uh, you've probably heard in the last couple of days that the NFL is struggling with us using the name Super Bowl. And when we have a Super Bowl party at a church or at a home or something like that, they're saying, you know, that's a copyrighted name that, that is owned by the NFL. So people are starting to talk about, you know, their big game parties and this kind of stuff to, to sort of get around that. And the bottom line is if, if the name Super Bowl doesn't generate revenue for the NFL, then they don't want us to use it. I thought that was a little interesting. Uh, the next step will probably be for the franchises themselves to start telling us we can't use the name of our teams uh, because those are copyrighted names as well. And there's big bucks attached to them. As you can see, if you look around the congregation today, lots of people wearing the jerseys and stuff. I don't have one on today, so unfortunately I can't name the teams. But let me just say to you that if today you're going to have a big game gathering with your friends, and if you're going to watch the carnivorous predatory marine birds <laughs> playing with the ponies, <laughs> go birds. <laughs> go birds. Um, this is this is the end of chapter 8 of Romans, uh, and as Pastor Peter said, this is kind of a, a high point, a culmination here, and then we're going to take this, this break that he shared with you a moment ago. Um, but Paul has written this letter to the, the church there in Rome. They were in tough circumstances where they were. He knew it. He's going to address some of that in the passage today, but... Um, this will be a, a concluding part for us, and we'll take this, this little pause. Um, I don't know how many of you end up traveling uh, on the weekend so uh, that you, you're not here on a given Sunday, but uh, how many of you ever listen to the podcast uh, on the website? Do, do you ever, a few of you, yeah, there's a few hands here. Um, I was in Chicago this last week. Linda and I were there for the annual pastor's conference of our denomination, the Evangelical Covenant Church. So I wasn't here last Sunday. So about Tuesday, I found the podcast on the, the web and I listened to that, which helped me know where you were last week to bring us up to today. And I would encourage you to do that when you are not able to be here on a Sunday. And like Peter said, we're starting a five-week series uh, this next week, and you really don't want to miss any of them because they do build on one another. But if you weren't here last week, Pastor Peter made a quote and I'd like to repeat it as best as I can remember it. It's not verbatim. But here's basically how it went um, when Pastor Peter was preaching about prayer. He said, we don't know what we are doing. Left to our own devices, we are like Homer Simpson in a nuclear power plant. Now, now that, that puts a graphic picture in my mind. You know, Homer Simpson alone in a nuclear power plant. You know, it's, it's chaotic. It's dangerous. It's a mess. And left to our own devices, we often end up in places like that. And the good news that we're going to see in this passage today is this. That there is a God who knows exactly what he is doing. And what he is doing, he is doing on our behalf. We are not left to our own devices. God is in control. 
and God knows exactly what he is doing. Now, as Kent read the, the passage earlier, you saw it's, this one is just packed full of stuff, and there's no way we can t- cover it all today. So I just want to kind of touch down at three different places in this passage with the hopes that we can walk out of here with a, a kind of a good concluding uh, feel for what we've been through so far in the, the eighth chapter. And, and really the whole book. Uh, the three things we're going to look at today at the beginning, um, I'm calling it a chain. You won't see that word in there, but the Apostle Paul is giving us five links that, that link to one another, and they are absolutely unbreakable. It, it's, it's a chain that God has forged himself, and it will never be broken, and he's done it on our behalf. And then Paul goes into kind of a Q&A section in the middle of this passage. We'll look at that briefly. And then he has a conclusion at the end. And then I'm going to have a conclusion after that. So let's start together by looking at this chain that the Apostle Paul gives us in the first two verses. Uh, Kent just read verses 29 and 32, 30 for us. I'm going to read them again as we get into this passage. Paul says this, For those God foreknew... He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called, and those he called, he also justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. Now, if you're anything like me, when you've seen this passage before, when you've been exposed to this, you might just start breaking out in a bit of a cold sweat. It might just give you hives when you look at what Paul is talking about here. This passage has caused biblical scholars more room for discussion and disagreement down through the years than most any other passage in Scripture. Words like foreknowledge and predestination and what does this really mean to us, and it can be confusing. There's a bit of mystery involved in this passage. Scripture is full of mystery. We don't always get all the answers in black and white to all our questions. This is one of those places. But my job today is to hopefully present this in a, in a simple enough manner that even I can understand it and that we can walk out of here saying, okay, I, I get where Paul is going in this passage. So I want you to note, as we get into it, the first three words of this passage where Paul says, for those God. And right there he sets the stage. This is about God. This is about God doing something, and it's about God doing something on behalf of people. That permeates the entire passage. God is at work. He's active. He's got his people in mind, and he's doing something. So keep that in mind. And let's look at the first link in this chain, where right at the beginning, it says, for those God foreknew. And we run right up against this word that is confusing or can be confusing to us. What is foreknew? What is the foreknowledge of God? How does that even apply to me? Several people have attempted to explain the foreknowledge of God by saying, well, God knows everything past, present, and future, and at some date in the past, he looked ahead and he saw who was going to respond to him, who who was going to respond to his offer of salvation, who was going to respond to the gospel. And, And everybody that God saw who was going to respond down through history, then he chose those people. 
who are going to respond. And that's kind of a nice, tidy little package, but unfortunately, the rest of Scripture doesn't really, doesn't really support that. Because in that line of thinking, who's in control? It's us. It's us. And those people who respond to what God did, those are the ones that God chooses. And that's not what Paul is talking about here. Paul's talking about something very intentional on the part of God. When he says, for those God foreknew. Now, the word knowledge or know in Scripture almost always refers to relationship. Not just knowledge about something, but entering into a relationship with. And what Paul is telling us here that is that God intentionally, motivated by his love, entered into relationships with people. He was deliberate. He was expressing his love for us as he entered into those relationships. Now, that still is a little fuzzy to me, but I have an experience in my life right now that helps me actually understand foreknowledge just a little bit better. This next slide is, is our grandson. Uh, Elliot is about to turn five. You can tell he bears a striking resemblance to his grandfather. Uh, he was adopted uh, as a newborn almost five years ago now, and it was a, a strange story because he just sort of parachuted into our son and daughter-in-law's home. Uh, they, they weren't all that intentional about it, and they ended up adopting this kid, which has been amazing for us. Well, now, on, now five years later, they're ready to try to adopt another child. So they're taking the more standard route, going with a, an adoption agency. Uh, they've had the interviews, the home study, paid the fees, filled out all the papers. And so now they're ready to go public with their next adoption. And, and all of this is unfolding in Chicago where they live. And Linda and I are out here on the West Coast. And our part in this has been to just start praying regularly for this new child, for them. Grandchild for us, granddaughter, grandson, we don't know. And so pretty much on a daily basis, we're praying for this kid. We don't know if he or she is even conceived yet. Maybe maybe they are. Maybe they're not. But we, we pray for the birth mom, that she'll be wise in her choices to give this kid the best advantage and not do anything foolish to her body while she's carrying this child. And, and what I'm finding is that I am entering into a relationship with my next grandson or granddaughter, even though they're not even on the scene yet, may or may not even be conceived yet. But the day is going to come when I can sit down with that kid when they're old enough to have a conversation with me, like, like Elliot is right now, and say, you know, before you were even born, before we even knew about you, I was building a relationship with you. Now, I know that's a little weird, that's a little mystical, but that helps me understand what Paul is talking about here when he says that, that, that God intentionally and lovingly entered into a relationship with people before they even came on the scene here. So the first link in this chain that Paul is talking about here is the fact that God has established a relationship with you. We go on in the passage where Paul says, for those God foreknew, he also predestined. You know, predestination is another concept that gives a lot of us hives. But Paul puts it in here. What, what is he talking about? Right in the middle of the word predestined, you see the word destiny or destined there. A few years ago, a couple years ago, a 17-year-old girl came up to me at a church I was at. 
And she said, Pastor Kevin, I've met this boy. And she started telling me about this guy in the most glowing terms. And she's telling me all these good things about him. And I can just see the stars in her eyes. Well, unfortunately, I'd already heard from her father. And I knew that this guy that she was talking about wasn't, he was five miles of bad road. And she said to me, she said to me, Pastor Kevin, I think he's my destiny. I think he's my destiny. And I thought, girl, he's not your destiny. He's a disaster. He's a disaster. But she had this fantasy, this romanticized view of, of, of her destiny. And she could see herself with this guy and all that stuff. That's not what Paul's talking about here when he talks about destiny. Because this is not us setting a destiny or deciding. No, this is God predetermining our destiny. This is God having good things in mind for us ahead of time. Paul goes on to say that the destiny that God has for his people is that we would be conformed to the image of his son, which simply means for you and I that every day we ought to act a little bit more like Jesus. That the decisions that we make would look more like the decisions Jesus made when he was on this earth. The priorities that we have would align ourselves with the priorities that we see demonstrated in the life of Jesus. Our thoughts, our actions would look more and more like those of Jesus. That, that is our destiny. So Paul gives us this second link and it grasps onto the first link. And the second one is that God has given you a destiny. The third link, verse 30, Paul says, And those he predestined, he also called. Now, for most of my life, whenever I heard the word call in any kind of a spiritual sense at all, I thought, well, yeah, the Billy Grahams, the Mother Teresas, you know, the, these really super spiritual people, they receive a call from God to go and do this amazing thing that they do. But as I look at Scripture now, I have to say, no, God's talking to all of his people there. Paul is referring to every one of us who's in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, that God has a call on our lives. Now, I think the best uh, way to understand that word call is to look at Jesus when he heard the word that his friend Lazarus was sick. And four days later, Jesus showed up at where Lazarus used to live and found out that he was dead. Um, and not only that, the people there said, Jesus, he's been in the grave for four days and he's starting to stink. And nevertheless, Jesus went to this grave, this tomb, and had them move the stone away that blocked the entrance. And we read in, in, in Scripture that Jesus called. Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. You see, what's happening here is that Jesus gave Lazarus two things. He gave him an invitation, come out. But he also gave him empowerment. He invited him and then he empowered him to make good on the invitation. There's no way that Lazarus could have done anything with that invitation unless Jesus empowered him to respond. And when the Apostle Paul says that he has called us, 
I believe what he's talking about is that, that, that God knows exactly how he made you. He knows exactly how he gifted you. He knows all of your life experiences, both good and bad. And God invites you to invest all of that in the work that he's doing here on this earth. But he doesn't just invite you. He empowers you. He gives you his Holy Spirit. He empowers you to actually fulfill the call that he has on your life. That's the third link in the chain. We have three unbreakable links that are grasping onto one another at this point. The fourth link we also see in verse 30, where Paul says, and those he called, he also justified. Justified. Paul is a legal person. He's using a legal term here. And the term basically means to declare somebody not guilty or righteous or forgiven. Paul has a picture in his mind, no doubt, of a courtroom where there are all kinds of attorneys and people in trial going on, but sitting over everything as a judge. And Paul knows that that judge has the ultimate authority in that case. And no matter what evidence is presented to him and countered and all the rest, at the end of the day, the judge determines guilty or not guilty. And Paul also knows that God, as the creator and sustainer of the universe, is the ultimate authority. And that God has declared his people to be righteous. He's declared them not guilty forgiven, not because they deserve it, but because of what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus took care of it, and God can say, not guilty, righteous, justified. And this becomes the fourth link in the chain. God has declared you righteous. The fifth and final link at the end of verse 30, Paul says, those he justified, he also glorified. Now, in some sense, that word doesn't seem to fit here because we can sort of understand the, the past tense nature of those first four. But, but when Scripture talks about us being glorified, we think, no, that's later, right? That's when we're in heaven. We're not glorified right now. We're living in these old bodies. They're wearing out. They're susceptible to sickness and disease and injury. And we, we live in this toxic environment because sin is still prevalent around us. But the day will come, Scripture tells us, where we're going to be free from all of this. We, we will not even be in the presence of sin any longer. It's, its impact, it will have no impact on us. And we get new bodies, we're told. And we, we get that in terms of a glorified, okay, that's the glorified part. We're with God. We're face-to-face with Jesus. We're, we're rescued from all of this stuff. So why would Paul say that as if it had already happened when he says he also glorified? It's part of the mystery of this passage, but if we think about God in terms of time and his relation to time and how different it is from our relationship with time, we think in a very linear fashion, past, present, future. God lives in an eternal present. God looks at us. And he sees the end game. He sees what we're ultimately going to become. He has the end in mind. And, and in, in, in Paul's thinking, and I think in God's processing of all this, it's as, it's as if we are already glorified when he looks at us. Because of what Jesus has done, he knows exactly where we're going to end up. And we think, oh, it's still a long ways in the future. 
And God can see that as as good as being done already, glorified. So the final link, the fifth link in the chain, is that God has secured your future eternally. And so we have have these five links in this chain here, connected securely to God on one end and to us on the other, every one of them in our favor, every one of them forged with us in mind, with our good in mind. This, This is God's reminder to us of his hardwired, unbreakable connection to each one of his children. Now, I think the Apostle Paul gets pretty excited about this as he's reflecting on what he just shared in those two verses and probably on what he's shared up to that point as well because in verse 31, he asks a question and I think there's some excitement in his voice because he says, what then shall we say in response to these things? I mean, knowing that, seeing that, hearing that from God, how can we even respond to that? What shall we say in response to those things? And he answers his question by another question later on in the verse. But I'll just summarize it. He says, God is for us. That's what we can say in response to these things, that God is for us. What does that mean to us? Several years ago when we were living uh, in Venezuela and I was involved in the aviation ministry, we had a small hangar on this little airport down on the edge of the Amazon jungle. And word came down from the uh, civil aviation authorities in the capital that they were doing a new master plan to our airport and it meant tearing our hangar down, which is not good news for us. Um, But hey, they own the property and that's what had to happen. And the bulldozers came and pushed our hangar over. And so we had to go through the process then of applying for a new uh, spot to build a new hangar there on the airport. And they had designated a certain area there for six hangars at, at the airport. We'd seen the master plan and the diagram and how that all worked. So a couple of us went up to the capital, to Caracas, and uh, made an appointment to, to apply for a space for our hangar. Now, these six spaces that they designated, three of them were great. They were right on the edge of the tarmac, very convenient to get in and out of. The other three were back behind them, kind of out in a field, and you sort of had to taxi through the mud and stuff to get into your hangar, and they were not desirable at all. Two of the ones on the front line were already assigned, and there was one vacant space left. So we went in there to talk to the aviation people about getting uh, permission to build a hangar. And lo and behold, we got a meeting with the director of civil aviation. Okay, this would be like here in the U.S., the FAA, the Federal Aviation Administration, the top guy, the director of everything to do with aviation in the country. This is the guy who we met with there, kind of surprising to us. And he had a couple of his his associates there with him, and they laid the blueprints out, and we talked and showed him the spot we really wanted. And he asked us questions about what we were doing, and we told him how we were serving the, the indigenous communities in the really remote places. And the more we talked, the more animated he got. And finally he said, that's the spot we're going to approve for you guys. You're going to get that last hangar site out on the front row. Well, we, were, we were thrilled with that. And so he said something to his associates about, you know, drop the paper so I can sign it so these guys can, can uh, you know, go ahead and start their plans to build their hangar there. And they were kind of laid back, his associates. And they were like, oh, yeah, we'll get, yeah, we'll get around. Yeah, we'll put it on the pot, whatever. And he didn't like that. The director didn't like it. And he looked at them and he said, he said, no, I want you to, 
draw up those papers so I can sign it and these guys can get going. And, and one of them kind of said, well, well, when? When do you want us to do that? And this was all in Spanish. And the director looks right at his associate and he said, ayer, yesterday. And the guy was like, whoa, I haven't heard this from this guy before. And, in, and when he said that, when he said yesterday, it all of a sudden hit me. This guy is for us. I might have expected him to be opposed to us. I mean, we're the foreigners coming down here doing this stuff. And no, no, he's on our side. He, he's got our back. He's, he's committed to us. And he's committed to making this happen. He's for us. Do, do you sense that when you think about God? That, that God is for you? That he's your, he's your biggest cheerleader. He's with you. He's in you. He's done everything possible for you to have the best possible life here and eternally with him. No, God is for you. We so easily slip into the, you know, oh, oh you know, God sent this thing to mess me up. God tripped me up. God, you know, this type of thing. It's like, no, no. If God closes a door, it's because it's because he knows that there's something much better for you. He knows there's something on the other side of that door that's not right for you. God is for us. And that's Paul's concluding statement here. I think Paul looks at this chain, the five links, and he sees this as irrefutable evidence of God's present, active, supportive and unfailing commitment to his people. Then in the last two verses of the passage today, last two verses of the chapter, Paul has kind of his concluding statement where he says that I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul has taken every conceivable angle on this issue in this passage here. He's, what, what could people think of that might keep them from experiencing God's love? I'm going to address it in, in this passage right here. The present, the future... The past, not, that's not going to keep you from experiencing the love of God. Uh, spiritual powers, demons, angels, no, no. That's not going to keep you from experiencing the love of God. Height nor depth. And then he throws in this catch-all statement at the end, nor anything else in all creation. In case I missed anything, he says, there is nothing out there that will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What Paul is saying there is that the love of God permeates back through everything that he's already said. The, the, the chain of the five things that God did on our behalf, every one of them motivated by his love for us. He establishes the relationship with us out of love. He decides our destiny because of his deep, deep love for us. 
God is the one who calls us and empowers us to live out that call because he loves us and he wants us to be useful in the work of his kingdom. God declares us righteous even though there's nothing righteous in us on our own because he loves us. And God has secured our future. So secure that he looks at us and he already sees it. His love for us. If we look at this, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, that, that's Paul's conclusion to the passage. And let me just summarize in three quick points here and, and we'll be done. If you today are somebody who, as Paul would say, are in Christ Jesus, a phrase he uses often here in Romans, if you are in a relationship with God through Christ Jesus, then God has connected himself to you. That's my first concluding point. God has done all the work to connect you to himself. The second point that we pull out of this passage is that God is for us. It's undeniable. Paul wants us to never forget that fact, that God is for you. And finally, that God loves you with a love that is unconditional, it's unbreakable, and it's unstoppable. If you are in Christ today, that's where you are because of what God has done. Now, don't get all proud. Don't get all proud when you look at the list and say, yeah, I deserve that. I, I earned that. No, 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 no. We can't deserve it. We never deserve it. We can't earn it. We can't work for it. We can't pay for it. That's why the Bible calls this the gift of God. The only thing that you ever did was accepted it. You just received what God did for you. If, if that's where you are today, my word for you is to start living into this. Don't live like God might disconnect himself from you. Forget about it. That chain doesn't get broken. Start living like God has a grip on you and he will never let you go. When you're tempted to think that God is against you, that God is opposing you or something like that, that's contrary to what scripture says. Start living as if the God of the universe has got your back and always has your best in mind. And when you're tempted to think that God's love for you somehow goes up and down based on your performance or how lovable you happen to be on any given day, forget it. No. God's love is not affected in any way, shape, or form by your behavior or my behavior. We can't make him love us anymore. We can't cause him to love us any less. His love for us is unconditional. Now, if today you're not sure if you're in a relationship with Jesus Christ or you know that you're not and you look at this list, the good news is this is what God offers to you. This is what God presents to you. It's the package that he has for you. Many of us have been protected from making bad decisions in our lives by that old adage that says, if it seems too good to be true, it probably is too good to be true. And while that is great in most circumstances, when you know the person who's making the offer, 
And the person who's making the offer happens to be the God of the universe. It's not too good to be true. He's trustworthy. God has never let us down yet, and he never will, never failed. And when he makes this offer to us, he's going to make good on what he offers. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, once again, we are reminded of how amazing you are and of all that you have done for us, even though we didn't deserve any of it. And we say thank you. We are such needy people, and we have so much to be thankful and grateful for. And God, for my sisters and brothers here today who are in a relationship with you through your son, Jesus Christ, God, I just pray for each one of us that we will, we will live into what you have designed for us and not get stuck second-guessing and doubting and thinking that our own messed-up lives are somehow going to cause you to leave us or abandon us or quit loving us or loving us less or something like that, God. Help us to live into who we are. And for anybody that's here today and they're, they're seeking, they're exploring, and they're not, they're not in a relationship with you yet, God, just please move them a step closer as they see the reality of all you have done and all the, the effort you have gone to to bring them to yourself. God, we all have much to be thankful for, and so we do say thank you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.